0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline. I am also an avid traveler, so I bring you stories from the airplane, from the pilots who fly those airplanes, and from traveling around the world. This episode is all about serendipity. I'm sure that each and every one of you has had something happen in your life that just seemed like it was meant to be, it was fate, it was, had something to do with faith, or just an extreme coincidence. And uh, we have some interesting stories this week, and it's basically, they run the gamut of a UFO story, a couple of stories from the airplane with uh, some interesting passengers, and the effects they've had on um, flight attendants' lives. And I'll tell my own story, my own fate serendipity story uh, about meeting a celebrity actor and uh, his effect on my life. So let's go and hear about some stories about serendipity.
1: Carl Vinson on our way between Perth, Australia, Diego Garcia. And uh, we have a uh, night uh, uh, air patrol up which consisted of an E-2, um, two F-14s and an EA-6. MCON conditions, uh, no transmissions from the ship. Everything was uh, done strictly uh, radio silence. Uh, all we were doing was up there listening in case a russian uh, bear bombers uh, got within range um, so pretty much very boring biggest thing you try to do is just make sure to stay awake right. so we're out there and we're just basically doing a racetrack pattern back and forth and as we turn around once we all of a sudden notice that there was a light in the sky that wasn't there before and we thought well it's got to be uh, a moon, or, you know, reflection off of something, but it most likely was a uh, planet or something. But it kept getting brighter and brighter, and, and we were up there for five hours straight in this pattern. We kept looking at this uh, light. All of a sudden, the light just, which had been holding pretty steady in one sector of the sky, just came towards us, got bigger and brighter.
0: Was it just a white light?
1: It was a white light. It kind of looked uh, almost... Like a, uh, a planet, uh, except about four times as big as a planet would look, you know, if it was a nice bright uh, planet at night. So we decided to turn towards it. But when we turned towards it, it moved in a different sector of the sky, and it just and we literally spent two hours chasing this thing around the sky. Every time we'd turn towards it, it would move 90 degrees off to us, and would turn towards it again. This went it on. It wasn't for just hours. you that saw it. No. We were all taking turns coming up to see it, and um, and everything. So it was real. So we had no idea what it was, and we figured you know it was just some sort of phenomena. But then after about two hours of you know staring at this thing, all of a sudden it just came rushing right up at us, rather bright, and then almost like you would see a comet go through the sky, it just shot away and left us, and that was it.
0: Wow. So, so now, what do you think? That's my UFO story. And what do you do? You really think? And what do you think it really was?
1: I have no idea.
0: Do you believe in UFOs now?
1: No, I don't. But um, <laughs> yeah, but it it's know? something I can't explain.
2: One day, um, I wasn't really supposed to be on the flight. I got assigned it, and um, I went ahead and took it. I tried to get off of it, but I actually took the flight. And um, I was the coordinator, so I was sitting up in first class. And I noticed um, at takeoff there was a man sitting um, by the far, um, far right window, and he had a hat on, um, like a baseball hat. And just something struck me about him. I didn't know what, but I just kind of thought, I wonder, you know, I need to talk to him. I didn't know why. I just kind of had this feeling that I needed to talk to him. So um, we take off. I go to manifest, um, and he's got his baseball hat on pulled down over his eyes, and he's wrapped up in this little blanket, and I tap him on the shoulder, and I said, excuse me, did you want to have something to eat? And he was a little bit pissed off that I had woke him up and intruded in his space and said, um, No, I don't. And um, so I said, Okay. And then I, you know, and then we got about our business, did our flight and everything. And as the trip progressed, every time I walked by him, I kept thinking to myself, Oh my God, I have got to talk to this guy. I don't know. I just was (laughs) having this overwhelming feeling like I needed to talk to him. I didn't know who he was. I looked on the manifest. I didn't recognize his name and I thought I've got to talk to him though. And I mean, it was like, I heard this voice saying, if you don't talk to him, you're never going to get the chance to do it again. And I'm going. I know. Okay. Oh, was he like so, really good looking? No, no. He was, he was like cranky. no. He was. He wasn't very pleasant. <laughs> but I just needed okay. to talk to him. So finally, I thought, okay. So I go over and I have my basket of snacks, <laughs> and and I say, Would you like something to drink or some snacks? And he said, No. I don't. Thank you. And I noticed on his hat the word Zelgen. That was what was written on his hat. And I said, are you a drummer? And he like looked at me very startled and he said, yeah, I am. And he said, how do you know that? And I said, well, I noticed that your hat said Zelgen." And I said, and Zelgen is a brand of, you know, drummers use Zeldin. And I said, so I just kind of thought maybe you were a drummer. And he said, yeah, I am. And I said, well, who do you play for? I said, would it be, would I know, are you still playing? Would I know the group? And he said, said, yeah. He said, you probably would. And I said, what is it? And he said, the group Kansas. And I go, Kansas. I said, well, is that like a country western group? Well, now he doesn't already like me because... (laughs) but now he really doesn't like me because now I've totally insulted him because I don't recognize the name Kansas and this big group and so <laughs> so he, um, he said I, and he goes no and he like rolls his eyes at me and, and I said well is there a song I might recognize just keep going I, no I wasn't going to let this go <laughs> And he said, he looks at me and he said, have you ever heard the song Dust in the Wind? And my eyes got the size of saucers. My mouth dropped open and I went, oh my gosh. I said, you have got to be kidding me. I said, my daughter is a singer and she's got a demo CD and she's got Dust on the Wind on that song. Well, you can imagine what he's thinking now. Oh, my gosh. No.
0: <laughs> he's never going to let me alone now.
2: <laughs> so I stop everything, and I run to the closet. I get the demo CD out with the, cause with the player, the CD player. <laughs> and I run it over to him, and I say, You have to listen to this. It's track number three. And he's, like, looking at me like I have just lost my mind. <laughs> and I said, okay, track number three. And I said, now, I've got to get back to work, but I'll come back. And literally, we are now. Everybody else is working, and I'm standing there with the basket. Somebody finally come through and took it from me because they, you know, that they know that I am not. <laughs> no. So... So I'm I'm like hurrying around trying and all of a sudden I hear the four bells. We're landing and I have not got to talk to this guy. I don't know and I'm like going, Oh my gosh, I'm not gonna get to talk to this guy. I stuck there, you know. And he's stuck. He has nowhere to go. I mean he is a captive audience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So so we're doing the coats and running around and finally I'm going, Okay, okay, good. I can run back over and just so I sit down, and I hear the captain say, um, ladies and gentlemen, um, Atlanta's going to have us hold for wow. a few minutes. And I'm going, thank you, God, thank you, God. I mean, I'm just, like, freaking out. <laughs> you know? And so so I sit down, and I, I'm like a dog with the tail wagging, you know. I'm like going, <laughs> yeah, <that's a> <laughs> you know, I'm like going, what do you think? What do you think? I'm so excited. And he looks at me and he goes, he said, how old is this girl? You said she's your daughter. And he said, but I'm looking at you and I'm listening to to her and there's no way she could be your daughter. And I said, yeah, she's my daughter. She's 18. And he said, she is got an amazing voice. And he just was totally he said he said I didn't he said I have to be honest with you I didn't go to track three he said I started at track one and he said the minute I heard her voice I got goosebumps he said he said tell me what's going on with her and all that stuff in three days later he was back in LA and they met and we met and now they're now he's her manager, he's her manager. uh-huh yeah
3: I was flying A-4s at the time. uh, My wife was pregnant with our first child, and I was in a brief, and the commanding officer walked in and pulled me out of the brief about 30 minutes before I was supposed to take off. said I needed to go home. My wife was having complications, so the uh, man who was the executive officer of our squadron came in and took my part of it. It was called a SCAR mission, and the SCAR mission was where, as a uh, Ford Air Controller, I, or a fastback, I'd go out and find a target. And after I found the target, I'd come back in, brief the section on the uh, the target and how we were gonna ingress and things like that. And then I'd go back and lead them in, and 40, 30 seconds prior to reaching the target, you pop what was called a photo flash, which was a bright, flash that came out of your airplane, that was the signal that this was your split point. That split off and they'd do their coordinated attack. Well, uh, executive officer came in and said, well, I'll take the flight. I went home and was with my wife and we took her to the doctor and everything was fine. I went back in the squadron. I walked into the squadron and I immediately knew something was wrong. Uh, there was no flight ops going on and, uh, Everybody was standing around. A few of the, a few of the, my squadron mates are grown men. Were crying. I knew something had happened. The man who took my airplane was flying in at 100 feet, he hit a bird, and then put it into the ground. And he was killed instantly. Oh my goodness! That's when the realization of what you're doing is dangerous. I mean, I I had a lot of people I know who had been hurt, yeah. and then I've had, had some people that were killed in Grenada. This was the first time that it had uh, that close. So that's, that's when uh, the, the, the bad side of aviation, you start to see it, and then, of course, uh, when an airplane doing that fast hits the ground, there's really nothing left of him or the, the airplane. So memorial service was uh, a couple days later, and. Second hardest thing is when you have to hand a flag to the children of uh, someone who's deceased. So, uh, aviation people think about it and they think it's safe and they, they see all the uh, the glory parts of it, but the uh, the gory parts are the parts that they'll always stick with you. Those those are the ones that you wake up in the middle of the night. And as as a pilot, I mean, even having been away from it now over 18 years. We still fight battles in the middle of the night. You'll wake up in the middle of the night, and it'll be like just yesterday. You're in the cockpit, and you can see things. You're looking at things. Those are the ones that you'll never forget, no matter what you do. And, and as pilots are, you, once an incident like that happens, whenever you run into people that you know who know it, you always, you always throw a toast to those who aren't with you. And so uh, it'll, it'll never fail. We'll be somewhere, and we'll, you'll hear somebody say, here's the flash and everybody who's around knows what it's about, what it, what it deals with. And, but you move on, but uh, you learn that uh, this, this is an inherently dangerous profession that we work and live in. My first tour overseas, A we had a, a guy, he's still in, a real good guy, but he was uh, took off out of uh, Kadena, going up back to Iwakuni, he had a, a full electrical failure. Now on the A-4, you can drop a ram air turbine and give you partial electrics in the airplane. Well, he joined up on the ex- executive officer, and they pushed back. The weather was really marginal up in Iwakuni, but it wasn't anything that the guys couldn't handle. Well, did, Iwakuni is a uh, Marine Corps air station. Iwakuni surrounded by a bay. And in that bay, there's lots of jetties, and, I mean, lights. And the, there happens to be some lights where the Japanese use their Kawasaki flying boats yep. for runways and stuff. Well, this, uh, he was coming in, and the executive officer was going to drop him off on the ball, which in the Navy Marine Corps is a Fresnel lens, right. on the runway, and he didn't land. Well, they, somehow he got separated from the XO, but he picked him back up for what he thought was the XO. He saw a flashing red light. So he ran, he, he did a running rendezvous back on this flashing red light. He'd already put his gear down, flaps, and things like that. The flashing red light was a buoy. So he... He proceeded to land in the bay at Iwakuni. The amazing thing was the aircraft sank down about 130 foot. The uh, pilot got out of it and came up. But when we were talking to him later, he does not remember blowing the canopy. And when the divers went down, the canopy was sitting by the airplane. The inside handle had not been blown, and nothing had been blown. One of, and it just happened to be this guy had been a, a diver, and he knew to blew up. But one of the statements he made, was really funny, is that as he was coming out, the guy I told you about that got killed, yeah. he saw him. He says he saw him as he was coming out. Really? Yes, he said, I saw him. He told me to get out. He says he got out. He doesn't know how he got out.
0: So oh, for my serendipity or extreme coincidence or fate story on the airplane, and I had a roommate at the time and my roommate wanted to go see a movie on a Friday night and I love movies and I said, no, you know, I'm going to stay home and watch this TV movie and she was like since when do you want to stay home and watch TV instead of going out and I said oh, you know I just want to watch this TV movie it was a pilot for a new television series you know how sometimes they have like a two-hour movie pilot for a new series and uh, I wanted to watch it and she stayed in her room and I was out in the living room and every time she would come in to like go to the kitchen I would say oh there's this really cute guy that's starring in this TV movie, there's just something about him. And she'd be like, you know, you're just acting really weird. Since when do you drool over a guy on TV? And I'm like, I don't know, there's just something about this guy. And, you know, I watched the rest of the movie. And the next Friday, then it was just its regular series time, and I watched it again. And that Monday, I'm on the airplane. I'm flying from Vancouver to Los Angeles. It was the last flight of my trip. And who walks on the plane but that star of the TV show I've been watching for two weeks. And I, I almost fell over. I was thinking, oh, my God, it's the guy. It's the guy from the show, the guy that I liked. And I did something uncharacteristic for me. I had—I uh, was flying in charge on the airplane, and I was told the other girl, I'm like, watch the door, watch the door. And I went in the bathroom, and I brushed my hair, and I put on a little extra lipstick, and I took off my ugly flat shoes, you know, I wear on board and put back on my high heels. <laughs> And I I worked first class and he was sitting in first class. And, you know, I I, I don't ever say anything to any passengers. And unlike what a lot of people believe, we almost never get hit on on the plane. I know people have a perception that we do and In my experience, I don't. And uh, the whole flight, going from Vancouver to L.A., he was very pleasant. I was just thinking, oh, he's so good-looking, so cute. And I wanted to say something. I didn't want to say anything in front of the other passengers. So I sort of was just hoping he'd come up to go to the bathroom so I could say something when he was going to the bathroom. And uh, then we started all you know, descent into L.A. And I'm thinking, gosh, darn it, I've been filling up his club soda and his coffee for hours now and he hasn't gone to the bathroom. Everyone else in first class had gone to the bathroom except for him. And So finally, he gets up to go to the bathroom and I think, okay, okay, what are you going to say? You have to say something. What are you going to say? And I couldn't think of anything very interesting to say. So I just asked him about his name, I'm not going to mention his name now, but uh, there was something different about it. So I asked him and he said, oh, you know, I'm an actor and somebody already had my name and uh, SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, so I had to use a different name and... Uh, then he started talking. He said, oh, yeah, my series, my show got canceled and coming back to L.A. And I'm, I said, oh, I know. I, I saw it. And he said, you, you saw it? He said, you must have been like one of three people in the United States that saw it because it was only on a couple of times and it was already canceled. And I was like, oh, no, I watched it. You know, I liked it. And we started talking. And, and within 10 minutes, he said, you know, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, um, nothing. Nothing. And he said, well, I'm going to go listen to some jazz over in Hollywood. You know, if maybe you want to go, maybe I could see you there. And my stomach at this point was just doing flip-flops. I just, I'm, I'm a girl from Pittsburgh. I'm one of 10 kids. My parents had no money. You know, people from TV don't ask me out in general. <laughs> so um and he finally goes into the bathroom at this point he hasn't even asked me my name yet and uh he comes out and he said you know instead of going to listen to that jazz do you want to have dinner and I was thinking do I want to have dinner yes I want to have dinner and uh we made plans to meet over in Hollywood and I was just basically at this point beside myself with excitement and my stomach was in knots and he was like are are you sure you're going to show? I'm thinking, are you sure I'm going to show? I was like, <laughs> I was just never been so excited. And he's wondering if I'm going to stand him up. And uh, I go home and I tell my roommate, I'm like, you are not going to believe what I'm doing tonight. And she's like, what? You know, I'm like, you know, the guy I was drooling over on TV for the last couple of weeks, i going out to dinner with him. And, you know, it just seemed like Fate at the time. And uh he's such a it was such a nice guy that he got to the restaurant like a half an hour early to make sure I didn't have to wait there. I thought that really showed a lot about his character and his personality and I I was just like I said before, my, my stomach was just doing flip flops. And uh, we had dinner and I had a great time and I saw him the next night and the next night and we ended up dating for about uh three and a half years. <laughs> And I got to do and see and meet people that I never would have. It was sort of like stepping into that People magazine. And uh, like I said before, I was twenty six. I'm I'm from a poor family, and here <laughs> one New Year's when I first started dating him, he said, "Oh, we're gonna have a couple people over," which means that. I'm having a cup, you know, people over, which I don't host this, I don't cook and, you know, let alone for, he's like, oh, and uh, John Malkovich is going to come. And I'm thinking, I- I'm hosting John Malkovich for dinner. <laughs> How in the world did this happen? And uh, John Malkovich ended up being the best. Dinner guest, you could possibly imagine. He would tell stories. He would talk really low, and everyone at the table would sort of lean in. It was almost like he was on stage doing a monologue. It was extremely entertaining. And uh, I learned a lot in those years. I learned that, you know, fame or money certainly doesn't equal happiness, and that a lot of those things you see in People Magazine or Us Weekly, they look a lot more fun on the pages than they actually do in real life. And uh, I kind of felt like it was my little fairy tale those years. And it's kind of like, pretty woman, you know, except for I wasn't a prostitute. And he didn't come back at the end, because we ended up, you know, breaking up. And he's married with a couple kids now. And uh, I'm back to my very normal life. But you know, it was an experience that uh, I never thought I have, and certainly glad I had it. And at the time, like I said, I really thought it was fate, but I don't know. Now, I looking back, I think maybe it was just a coincidence. So, what do I think serendipity is? Well, I think it's a lot of things. I think it has to do with a combination of luck, of being in the right place at the right time, But maybe also it has to do with seizing a moment or an opportunity when it comes to you, or at least being open to the possibilities of what's out there. So I hope each and every one of you has a fabulous new year. And I won't be having any celebrities over for dinner. I'm actually working. But you know, excitement comes in all shapes and sizes. And I hope all of you have an exciting new year. I'd also like to thank Jamie Angelese, that was the flight attendant's daughter who provided the music for this episode. Boy, she really does have an angelic voice, doesn't she? Well, hope you'll join me again next time for Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase so we can travel the world together.